Hi everyone, welcome to the True Crime Podcast where we focus on San Diego cases. My name is Irina. And I'm Renette. And today I'm going to talk about the Heaven's Gate cult. You have to trust me. You have to believe me. <gasps> Yay! I am super, super interested in this one. Cults in general interest me a lot. And this one was definitely crazy. And I can't wait. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. I kind of knew you were going to do it at some point. I was hoping, but I didn't want to like get my hopes up too much. <laughs> yeah. And I actually wasn't sure if I was going to do it because I was like, well, there's so many other podcasts and YouTubers who've done this case. But mm-hmm. I was like, well, how can we not? Like this happened San in San Diego. Diego. Exactly. Yeah. It's pretty infamous. So, mm-hmm. And I, re- I was in high school when this happened and I remember hearing about it, but not really understanding, like, I guess, the context of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember feeling freaked out when I seen the images of the members lying dead in the bunk beds with their matching, like, Nike death Everything matching, yeah. Mm -hmm. The jumpsuits and tracksuits and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, Heaven's Gate was a UFO cult started by Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. They believed that God was an extraterrestrial alien who would embark them onto his UFO that was hiding behind the Halibop. Is it Halebop or Halibop? Halebop. Okay. Be- yeah, that was behind the <laughs> Halebop. Wait, you said Hale? Hail- I think it's Halebop. Okay. We're going to go with Hale. Halebop. Okay. Halebop, yeah. So in order to do that, they had to shed their earthly vehicles, which was their bodies. So 39 members took part in a mass suicide by drinking vodka with barbiturates, then suffocating themselves with plastic bags. Oh, my God. So first, I'm going to talk about Marshall Applewhite. Um, Marshall, he was born May 17th, 1931 in Spur, Texas. He had three siblings, two older sisters and a younger brother. Mm-hmm. He grew up in a super, super religious household. His dad was a Presbyterian minister and they moved around a lot because his dad would travel around Texas, like starting different churches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's said that Marshall did really well in high school According to his sister Louise, he was on the honors roll, and she described him as funny, charismatic, and he was an overachiever. Mm. She said that Marshall can get anyone to believe anything, Very which persuasive. that was wild reading that, considering yeah. like what happened. I mean, I don't know. You know a lot about um, Jonestown? I Yeah. Um, well, I know about it, but mm-hmm. probably not too in-depth, but well, this like, was very a- similar. Yeah, there's a pattern of cult leaders being very, like, enthusiastic, very um, magnetic to people. Like, they're very, um, what's it called? When welcoming, you know, like they, Mm -hmm. and they just always like draw a crowd and they're just, people just are drawn to them. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. like that characteristic for a cult leader always seems to be like the same. Yeah. Yeah. So he graduated from Corpus Christi High School in 1948. At first, Marshall wanted to follow his father's footsteps and become a minister, Mm -hmm. but music was his passion, and it said that he had a really beautiful singing voice. So Marshall, he went on to attend several universities. Like It was kind of like the sources that I was going off of. It was kind of conflicting, saying, you know, which university he went to first, which one was his last one. Mm -hmm. So let's just go with saying he went to several universities Um, from one of the universities. I do know that he obtained a degree in psychology and then from another university, which I know that was Colorado University. He got his master's degree in music. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So during that time, he was also able to do which what he loved, which was anything to do with music. So he sang for the Houston Opera and he was also the choir director for a few churches. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know like about his upbringing and his like, um, I didn't know he did all that for music. I thought I knew that they sang songs together and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, when he started the cult, but I didn't know anything previously. So that's interesting. Yeah. And so, like I said, he attended several universities um, and he also served two years in the army. Oh, okay. In 1952, Marshall married a woman named Anne Pierce, and they had two kids together. Um, One was named Mark, and the other was named Lane. 
Marshall and Anne's marriage appeared to be normal and happy. Mm-hmm. And um, Marshall, he was teaching at the University of Alabama as a music professor for a few years. And that was, I think, in the mid-1960s. And it said that he really loved his job because it was something, you know, um, loved. right. Yeah. But at that time, Marshall was actually caught having an affair with one of his male <gasps> students. <gasps> Wait, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. And at that time it was, um, not as accepted as it oh, is yeah, now. Definitely Definitely taboo. Yeah. Not spoken of like, mm-hmm. and that university he was teaching at, it was actually a Catholic university. Oh crap. He screwed. He fucked up. So yeah. <laughs> when the college found out about the alleged affair, they let him go, but they gave like some, some reasoning like that wasn't true. They, for whatever reason, they didn't want to say that, you know, he was caught having an affair with a male student. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, when his wife found out about the affair, she ended up divorcing Marshall. I mean, you can't blame her. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Whether it was cheating with a male or female, right? Oh, yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter. And then, like, right. also just the fact that it was a student, too. Like, there's just, I mean, I'm sure she was hurt in all different angles. Of course. Yeah. So that divorce took place in 1968. So just imagine he had this great career doing what he really loved, which was working with music. And he had his family. And then all of that gets taken away from him. And so that just really devastated him. And he really struggled emotionally. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to talk about Bonnie Nettles. So Bonnie was born on August 29th, 1927 in Houston, Texas. She was raised in a Baptist family. She eventually moved out of the religion as uh, she grew into an adult and she went to school to become a registered nurse and she married a businessman named Joseph in 1949. Mm-hmm. So they had four kids together. And same like Marshall, Bonnie and marriage, uh, I'm sorry, Bonnie and Joseph's marriage seemed like a happy and normal marriage. But eventually Bonnie became super obsessed with astrology and UFOs and aliens. Mm -hmm. And um, I watched a YouTube video of Bonnie's daughter named Terry talking about her mom. And Terry said that they would go outside of their home at night and Bonnie would tell her daughter to look up into the sky, which her daughter would do. And she would say, let's see if we can see a UFO, if we can find any aliens. And they just would really hope to get picked up by a UFO. (laughs) Which is wild. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's funny because you would think like the kids would be the ones that like, oh my God, you know, like thinking of all these things. Not that I don't believe in UFOs, but to go out there and be like, oh, hopefully we get like abducted. Oh my God. (laughs) And especially at this time, I think it was um, probably what may be more taboo to believe in that sort of stuff. Oh yeah. And if she was like a religious family and stuff too, like that's definitely not spoken of. Yeah. Yeah. So Bonnie and her daughter really wanted to get picked up by a UFO and be transported. Um, Her daughter, Terry, said that they never felt like they were part of this world. They always felt like they were on the outside looking in. And Terry said that her mom was her best friend and she never had a friend like her in her life. They had a really close bond. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyways, Bonnie started having uh, seances in her home. And she claimed to talk to a, is it monk or monk? Monk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know how to pronounce anything. Monk is like from the show, right? His last name was Monk. M- monk? I don't know. Wait, now I don't know how to say it. it monk? <laughs> monk. <laughs> We're going to go with Monk. <laughs> so she claimed to talk to a monk named Brother Francis, who she said would speak to her and he would just give her instructions for her life and whatnot. And she would also visit um, like fortune tellers and her husband. He didn't like that. He was a religious man yeah. and all that sort of like new age stuff. It just really freaked him out. Yeah. Which honestly, like if someone was having a seance in my house, like even now today, I think it would... Yeah. really freak me out kind of weird it's like you're you don't know like what you're really opening up portals to and it's like it's going against the religion and everything and she's like going all 
all out on this, like going to fortune tellers and everything. Yeah. Have you ever done the Ouija board? No, I've never done anything like that. And I've never done like tarot cards. I've never done um, hand lines reading, palm palm readings, hand lines <laughs> reading. <laughs> what are words? No, but um, I've never done any of this stuff. I kind of want to because I, I was a skeptic for sure. But I feel like nowadays I would be a little bit more open minded to it. What about yeah. you? Have you? Mm. After your wine? <laughs> I've never, I know, sipping my wine right now. Um, I've never went to like a psychic or anything like that. And I honestly, I never would, um, not judging anyone who does. Um, But I have played with the Ouija board. I did it. I used to play with like my neighbor across from my grandparents when I was maybe in sixth grade. And, um, And I think I might be open to doing it now as an adult. Yeah, you would. Yeah, I think, I mean, it freaks me, not going to lie, like it freaks me out. I wouldn't use it in my home. I was about to say, like, would you have it inside your home or you would do it somewhere else? I would have it at one of the buildings that I manage. And <laughs> because they were built, like they're over a hundred years old. That's and so, true. Oh my God, that's actually really scary, but I'm also intrigued. Okay, well, if you ever decide to do so, let me know. Maybe I'll go with you. <laughs> yeah, next time you come down, maybe we'll have to go to one of the buildings yeah. at night. Isn't it wild that they sell these things at like Walmarts? Yeah, I saw it at Barnes & Noble the other day. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, how bad can these really be? Like toys, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, all that stuff freaked him out. um, And that was like in around 1972. Mm -hmm. So Bonnie, you know, she would go to these fortune tellers and stuff. And she said that one of the fortune tellers told her of a man that she was going to meet. And this man, I guess, you know, was going to be super important to her and to the world. And the fortune teller described the man and he was described to look exactly what Marshall Applewhite looked like. Mm -hmm. But it's like, okay, so he was tall and fair skinned, but how many tall? (laughs) That could be anybody. Yeah. Like like they put that into your head and then like you start to really believe it or look for it you know you don't look for it normally but then once it's told to you that's like the only thing you can think of so mm-hmm. I mean that's another reason why I kind of I'm skeptical of going just because I get I'm gonna get scared that it's gonna be something that I'm just gonna look for and it's not something that should just happen you know happens right but yeah right. okay so she found her her fair-skinned, tall, blonde man. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so at that time, you know, Bonnie, she was in this unhappy marriage. And Marshall, he was struggling to try to keep jobs um, since the university had let him go. Mm-hmm. His wife had left him. He didn't have any contact with her or even his two children. So wow. there's like conflict. Yeah, which is kind of like, that's pretty crappy. You know, yeah. I don't know if it was her keeping the children away or if he just didn't care to try to even see them. Yeah. Uh, either way, whether it was her fault or his fault, it's really crappy. Like at the end of the day, it's always the kids who suffer the most, right? Exactly. Yeah. Those poor kids. But considering now that I'm thinking about it, what Marshall Applewhite <laughs> did, it's probably best. It's best they stayed away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's conflicting stories on how Marshall and Bonnie met. Um, There's some sources that say they met while Marshall was an inpatient at a psychiatric ward because remember, she was a registered nurse. Um, And then some say they met in a hospital that Bonnie was working at. And it was like while Marshall was visiting a friend that was staying there. And then some say that um, he was a patient in the hospital with heart issues. It's even said that they met at a Houston music like center. So I'm not exactly sure how they met, but what we do know is they obviously did cross paths and they did meet in 1972. Yeah. Okay. So Bonnie would do astrological charts for her friends and really anyone who wanted one done. Um, She actually wrote like for, she had a column, an astrological column in the paper too. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. So um, anyways, when she met Marshall, she did an astrological chart for him. And she said that Ma- Marshall's chart was much more different than the other charts that she's ever done. At that moment, you know, she just felt instantly connected to him and he felt instantly connected to her. 
And Marshall said that there was something that compelled them to spend time together, to listen to each other, and to search together. So they were going through this so-called awakening. Mm -hmm. And soon after, in 1973, Bonnie ends up leaving her husband and her four children to be with Marshall. All right. Well, these guys are just shitty parents. (laughs) Yeah. It's like so fucked up, right? Like, why can't you just do both? Like, mm-hmm. can't you just like be responsible and, but then also go do what makes you happy, but like yeah. don't be a shit piece of crap to your um, kids. And they followed some like biblical principles and isn't there oh. somewhere in the Bible where it says to be a good parent? I guess they <laughs> so just imagine. pick and choose like some people, but mm-hmm. you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So they, they felt like they had known each other for a really long time, perhaps in a past life, but their relationship was nothing sexual. Like they never had sex. It was strictly, you know, they were partners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So that year, which was 1973, they set out on a road trip and they first went to Houston and they opened up a bookstore called the Christian Arts Center. And they sold like a variety of, I guess, like spiritual sort of books, books on different religions, kind of like um, a new age bookstore, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't do very well. And so it went under very, fairly quickly. And then they decided to open a business called No Place. So it was like spelled K-N-O-W. Oh, and okay. they were teaching classes on uh, theosophy and mysticism, but that didn't do very well. And that too went under. Oh, okay. So then they leave Houston and they head towards Oregon. And that's when they started to believe that they were brought by God to prophesize about the end of times. They were convinced that they were the two witnesses mentioned in the book of Revelation. They had many di- uh, different nicknames, but around that time is when they started to refer to themselves as the two. Okay. And they also started to believe that they were aliens around this time. I, I thought- wish I was there to like hear their conversation of how they come up with these things, like how they are like, yeah, we're the chosen ones and this and that's like, what, how did you just all of a sudden Same. like, yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear how they, and then how did they decide that they were like aliens? <laughs> yeah. Do you know if they, I mean, do they know if they did like psychedelics? Like, were they on anything? No, um, they were really strict with their diets. They didn't consume any drugs. They actually didn't even drink any alcohol. Really? So this is just them. This is just them. <laughs> now, if they had some sort of like uh, mental illness or something, yeah. I don't know. Um, Big imagination. <laughs> right. They had a, a wonderful imagination. Yeah, a little too much. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Too much. <laughs> So they thought that uh, UFOs were the key to salvation. They believed that the UFOs can transport you to the kingdom of heaven. Wow. So in 1974, wait, by the way, I wonder what they would think if they were alive now, like with all the sightings of UFOs that are happening right now. I was just thinking that I was going to say like a little later on, like they would have been super successful nowadays if they were just like in the wrong decade, I guess. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So in 1974, they got their first um, believer. Mm -hmm. I I wish I remember the woman's name, darn it. But anyways, this woman, she left her husband and kids to join another another happy parent. How do you, Renette, do you think you could ever be convinced to just leave your kids and and your partner to go follow this like theory that has no proof and like no promise really like no true absolutely promise. not david and aiden get on my damn nerves but i will <laughs> never leave their ass and Sal. <laughs> no i kidding i mean i'd probably leave just kidding <laughs> no no there'd, there'd be nothing that can make me leave my boys or sell like yeah, nothing i know so like, it's like not all the money in the world you know nothing that's why i'm like i wonder i wish you know, I wish there was like, I knew what they were doing, what they were thinking, what they were saying to them directly, because obviously there's interviews and stuff. But like, like, how do they drag people away from their families and friends and just everyone that everything that they know? 
to just right because if it's such a like um spiritual loving uh religion yeah how can that i mean how can they even ask for anybody to leave their family how can they leave their own families it's just really bizarre yeah and it's like as if their, you know, marriages and their lives were just so freaking awful that they, but it doesn't seem like it was. They just kind of decided to do this because that's what they want. Right. And, but I think like with Marshall, I think he was actually gay or at oh, least yeah. bisexual. And so it's like he, you know, he couldn't sleep that's with true. men and do what he wanted to do with men. And so that's true. But then to just like, stay away from your kids or like you know leave the state and just basically never see them again right (laughs) it's fucked up yeah so this woman she like i said she left her husband and kids to join bart uh barney (laughs) barney (laughs) and marshall (laughs) Uh, so this woman she would drive her own car like ahead of bonnie and marshall to whatever town they were going to but she would go ahead of them to like announce to people Bonnie and Marshall's arrival. And (laughs) it's random people that they don't know who they are. Yes. Okay. (laughs) And they really tried to gain new followers, but they weren't getting anyone for a while. And they would hold these meetings at the towns that they went to, and they would put up flyers about UFOs asking, why are they here? Who have they come for? When will they land? And actually I'm going to read you what the flyer says. Okay. I thought the flyer was actually really cool and interesting to me. Um, it says they get you, Renette. <laughs> I'd probably be a member of theirs, right? If I was like old enough at that time. So it says two individuals say they were sent from the level above human and will return to that level and a spaceship UFO within the next few months. This man and woman will discuss how the transition from the human level to the next level is accomplished and when this may be done. This is not a religious or philosophical organization recruiting membership. However, the information has already prompted a number of individuals to devote their total energy to the transitional process. If you have ever entertained the idea that there might be a real physical level in space beyond the Earth's confiners, you will need to attend this meeting, which... You know, it sounds pretty wild, but I do feel like if I was walking around somewhere in the city and came across this flyer, shit, I would go to this meeting just to see what the hell this is about. I would want to go to see the types of people that would go to these meetings. Yes, and and then you'd see me. I know, I know. And also, let's see what type of food they have, because, you know. Oh, yeah. It's like all these donuts, coffee. What would they have? sandwiches or something, maybe. Carrots. Yeah, they'd probably have rice cakes or some shit like that. Carrot and celery sticks. Yeah. Boo. So anyway, a few months later, um, the one follower that they had, and I feel so bad that I don't remember her name, but anyway, she, she woke up, she came to her senses and she decided to leave Bonnie and Marshall. She felt guilty for leaving her husband and her small children, because I think the youngest one was two years old. And, mm -hmm. and so, um, she left them and she went back to their family was she um, she was taken back in? Like, yes, she was taken back in, you know, by her husband with open arms. He's okay. probably like, okay, this girl done lost it for a moment, but <laughs> come back I home and help with these children. Yeah, he's like, okay, just help me, please. <laughs> yes. So, you know, when she went back to her husband, um, the husband saw the credit card charges that Uh you know, were used by Marshall and Bonnie and, and his wife. And so he went to the police. And Bonnie and Marshall, they were actually charged with credit card fraud. Oh, my God. Do you know how much was spent? No, I don't know how much was spent. I know that they were arrested. Like, you can actually see mugshots of them. But, like, I think that um, the husband ended up dropping the charges. Mm -hmm. She probably convinced them to, to drop them. Yes. And... So, you know, Bonnie, she was released, but Marshall, he actually had a warrant out for his arrest. Oh, shoot. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, he stole a rental car. Like, he went to a rental place or a rental car place and um, rented out this car, but he just never gave it back. <laughs> <laughs> this is mine now. I like it too much. 
Exactly. <laughs> so Marshall, he ended up spending six months in prison for mm-hmm. that. Dang. And like Bonnie went back to being a nurse. She, gosh, I don't know. She went back to Texas to be a registered nurse, but she went back to working her normal job. And then when Marshall was released, Bonnie went back to him. Mm-hmm. But um, while Marshall was in prison, that's when he really like redefined their ideal, um, how do you say, ideology. Mm-hmm. He realized at that time that, you know, he and Bonnie, not only were they aliens, but he also believed at that time that Jesus was an alien too. Okay. And once he got out of prison, they went on to stay at a retreat. And the retreat was in Ojai. Um, They were giving their mission statement to the people who were there. And so there was this metaphysical group, I guess, like the the president of that group Mm -hmm. ended up finding out about Marshall and Bonnie and, you know, what their thoughts and beliefs are. And so he invited them to go and talk to his group. And Bonnie and Marshall were super excited because this was their chance to, you know, be able to talk to a group of people who were actually there to listen to what they had to say. And get more followers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they go to this group and uh, they speak to these people. And when they finished that uh, meeting, they got about 25 or so followers. Wow. Okay. So, you know, um, which is great for them because they're going around from city to city trying to gain new followers when it's just two people, it's kind of questionable. But if you see these two people with 25 other people, then it kind of gets you like, Hmm, maybe I'll, I'll give these people some time and listen to what they have to say. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So, um, They then went from there to a meeting in Oregon where they gained even more followers. Um, They preached that they came from what they termed the level above human, a physical and literal version of heaven and outer space. Mm -hmm. And they were sent to help others reach this level. They believed that the human body was just a vehicle and to ascend from this world, people had to separate from all earthly things, whether it's material possessions or people in your life, which all cults, they take you away from your family, right? Yeah, strip you of nothing so that you can only have what they give you and what they teach you. Mm-hmm. So a UFO would take them back, supposedly this is what they're telling these people, after they finish their human mission. So the members, they were sent out to try and recruit other members, which was really hard for them um, because they couldn't speak as well. And maybe they were not as convincing as Bonnie and Marshall were. Mm -hmm. Um, At that time, there were about 80 members, I think, at that time. But eventually in 1976, or maybe it was 1977, Bonnie told the members that basically new recruit recruitment wasn't possible. They were not allowing for any new members. And, you know, it's not like anyways, like the members were really able to recruit new people. Um, But for whatever reason, Bonnie closed the idea to having new members. And that's when they were living in Wyoming because they traveled to different like places often. Okay. At that time, they really just focused on themselves as a group and on their beliefs. Um, They wanted to get rid of their gender at that time, which some of them did. Marshall and seven other of the um, members that were born male Mm -hmm. voluntarily got castrated in Mexico. I remember that part because I was like, what the hell? That's wild. Why? And like... Why? <laughs> and like, why did Marshall, you know, I know, why was he so against sex? Was it because he couldn't he have sex with males? To do it with the ones that he wanted to, yeah. So it's like, mm-hmm. if I can't do it, you guys can't. So at that time is also when they started to wear androgynous clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all had like the same really short haircuts. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember seeing those photos because I couldn't really recognize like, yeah, they all looked like the same. Like, I couldn't tell which were male or female really at all. Mm-hmm. And their clothing was like, what was their clothing like? Was it like um, big sweaters and stuff? Yeah. I'd, like I saw like wearing like oversized shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So if they were female, you can't really see if they had breasts and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, well, because Marshall and Bonnie said that, you know, once you go to reach 
Nutella or, uh-huh. you know, it's all you're, you're genderless. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so anyways, they would give these dates as to when, you know, the UFO was going to come because remember in the very beginning, when they put those flyers around out to different cities, they were at, they said that UFO was coming in months, but obviously they were around for many years. So they mm-hmm. would give these dates, you know, as to when that UFO was going to come and take them to heaven and the date would come and, you know, Bonnie, Marshall, all of the members, they would get ready, go outside, look up to the sky and be ready to board this UFO, mm-hmm. but nothing would happen. So, you know, Marshall and Bonnie would give some reason like, oh, you know, we calculated it wrong. You know, this is actually the new date. And then that new day would come, nothing would happen. So they kept changing the so date. Ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, like, They would constantly give these excuses, but it said that, you know, Bonnie really believed like that these dates were correct and they were true. And so she kind of started like questioning herself, like, is this true? Am I right? So she was really questioning herself. And during this time, um, Bonnie, she communicated with her daughter, Terry, the one that they had a really close bond. So these letters that her daughter would get once a month over the course of many years, you know, Bonnie was preaching all these thoughts and beliefs, but towards the end there, when these dates were just wrong that she would give, she was writing her daughter, these letters that Terry said sounded like Bonnie was really questioning her thoughts and beliefs and wondering if like, you know, am I just crazy is Mm -hmm. all these thoughts that I have or all these beliefs that I had, are they untrue? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would too, like, dang, like you, you really believe in something. And then she's knows so much about astrology and if she keeps getting like failing over and over again, it's like, dang, is she really, <laughs> I would start doubting myself too. And if you think about it, it really sucks, right? Cause like truly, if she really did believe in this and she thought all of this was real and so true. She gave up her whole life for it. Like yeah. Family, her marriage, everything. And mm-hmm. now it's like, oh, shoot. She's like, I don't even know if this is real or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that is kind of sad when you th- really think about it. Yeah. And um, so around this time where she kind of started like questioning herself, Bonnie, she started having like these, uh, she would get like these back problems, back pains. And so she originally went to a chiropractor And then the back pain continued. So she went to a doctor and that's when she found out that she had liver cancer. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I guess um, the tumor was so large and it was pushing against her organs. And that was, is what was causing, you know, the back pains. Wow. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. That sounds so painful. Yeah. And it's just scary. Cause I'm like, shit. Now, every time I get a back pain, I'm going to be like, what am I dying? <laughs> Where's the tumor? <laughs> I'm already a hypochondriac. I <laughs> so I read this and I was like, God. No. <laughs> so no, anyways, no, no. <laughs> when she got her diagnosis, by that time, it was just too late. The tumor was too large to do anything. So hospice care began immediately. And it was just day later, uh, I'm sorry, a few days later that Bonnie passed away. So it's so crazy. She got her diagnosis and passed away days later. Yeah, um, I heard the most like aggressive and dangerous and quick cancers are liver and pancreas. Oh my God. It's like, it's literally like that. Like you get diagnosed maybe a week or two. Yeah. Hospice. And then it's, it's all, it's all over. That's so, so sad. Cool. I cannot wait for the day that there is a cure for all cancers. I know. Right. And to catch it like more quickly and yeah, definitely. so she had passed away on June 19th, 1985. Mm-hmm. And when this happened, obviously Marshall was devastated and the members were devastated and they were confused because they thought, well, you know, they were taught that these bodies, these earthly bodies were just like vessels to take them, you know, um, to Tella, whatever. And, um, you know, for her to go this way with cancer and everything, it was just really confusing to them. Yeah. Oh, uh, real quick. Um, Tella, it's a, 
it's an acronym for something, right? What does it stand for again? It's like um, the only reason why I remember this is from the trivia nights because remember I recently <laughs> oh, yeah, did the Heaven's Gate right. cult. So <laughs> the evolutionary level above human. Oh, okay, okay. The mm-hmm. evolutionary level above human. And so Marshall, he told the group that Bonnie was waiting for them on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, she was waiting for them. You know, don't worry. And that's also when he introduced the idea of them leaving their earthly bodies as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when he started throwing in the idea of like suicide, but the way that they were planning to go, they didn't think it was like really a suicide. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's kind of weird, right? Like leaving I mean, their suicide. Yeah. But like, I guess they leaving their, their shell of a body and they just live on and go on a UFO to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yes. So at that time, Marshall, um, he ended up telling the members to go home to their families and stay with them for a while. Mm -hmm. So the members left Marshall and they went to be with their families. I'm not exactly sure if it was months or honestly, if it was years, I couldn't find that in my research, but you know, I do know that they took off for a while Okay. And um, when I read that, I was actually quite surprised because most cults, they they don't want you to talk or see your families and to tell them to go back home. I don't know. It's just true. Yeah. Maybe was he really was wild. like, maybe he needed some grieving time and was like, uh, I'm going to let these guys do their thing. And if they want to come back, they can, you know. I think that's what it was because... Yeah. You know, he was telling them, no, like she's on the other side and she's waiting for us. And I just don't, you know, because that should be a happy moment um, Mm -hmm. according to their beliefs and everything. So I just think that he didn't want them to see him grieving. Yeah. So when they all joined together as a group, um, it was, you know, it was in the early 90s, I think. And so they actually created a web design firm and it was called Higher Source. Mm-hmm. And it's actually still like the website is around today. What? Um, Wait, what is mm-hmm. it called then? Let me type it in. Uh, the higher source. The higher source. Higher source. So just put like maybe higher source Heaven's Gate. Okay. And, you know, they also had a corporation that was called Tela, which is the evolutionary level above human. And it was to protect their property and website after they went on to the next level. So, you know, they started getting really good at web design. A lot of um, the members became computer programmers okay. and they created their website and they were really good at it. Actually, that was like their main source of income. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they got their main source of income at that time from doing the web design, but um, the other ways that they got money is a lot of these members gave Marshall and Bonnie their life savings, the money from their oh retirement God. account. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there were times where the members had to get like jobs, maybe like wait- waitressing jobs and that sort of stuff just to bring mm-hmm. in you know some money. So anyway, it's March 22nd, 1997. And at that time, they're living in Rancho Santa Fe Mm -hmm. in a beautiful mansion. At that time, it cost $7,000 a month to rent, which is equivalent to over $13,000 a month today. Oh, my God. How big was it? Like, do you know how many rooms? It was over 9,000 square feet. (gasps) Holy crap. I can't even imagine being in a home that big. I would be um, like, I would feel like a hotel or something. Like, oh my yeah, God. it had all these like uh, citrus trees, uh, <gasps> swimming pool. It looked really, really beautiful, actually. So when we did um, trivia on the webs, uh, I'm sorry, on the Heaven's Gate cult, mm-hmm. I had a message from someone and um, I don't know this person, but he said that after the mass suicide he was, this guy was in high school and he got invited to like a house party over there. And so like he went in there and certain rooms were like roped off because it was right after the suicide. Oh my God. Yeah. And then, you know, that really uh, nice girl, um, Erica, the one that we met when we went to the Emo Brown studio and oh, her husband, yeah. Erica Pablo. The Yes. So her and her, okay. So her husband, Pablo, he, remember he told us, I think he was like a, was it a UPS driver? 
Uh-huh. I, and, I, I don't remember, but I remember him telling the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was he said that he would do deliveries. And this is when Heaven's Gate cult were, you know, were residing there. Oh and he God. remembers like just delivering to the house and stuff like that. So that I think so that crazy. was pretty cool. That is so crazy. Oh, my God. And then knowing what happens after. <gasps> mm-hmm. Oh so, you know, it was over 9,000 square feet. It was in a gated community. And, um, and anyways, that's, uh, actually now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder what the homeowner thought, like, and then, cause they there? paid in cash every, I don't know, but I do know, like they paid their rent in cash every month, which that's suspicious. Like, yeah, and it's like, huh, I wonder, I mean, cause when he met Mark, he had to have met Marshall Applewhite in person to sign the lease and everything. And. Marshall's eyes, they're fucking wild. I remember we were talking about how people's faces change when they become more and more psychotic. Yes. Yeah, their eyes, they look at like demons. They do. They really do. They don't look like themselves anymore. No. Mm-hmm. So, well, anyways, that's Googling, around that time. The mansion, by the way. Huh? I'm looking up the mansion, by the way. It's beautiful, right? I'm looking at it right now on the map. <laughs> It's beautiful. It I, I was going to go and do a drive by there just to see, know. you know, what it looks like. It's kind of creepy, but yep. I would yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine what like the neighbors, because it's all these, you know, oh wealthy people, you know. <laughs> I know. Oh my, yeah. People wouldn't blink an eye if it happened here in Chula Vista, but it happens in Rancho Santa Fe and oh, it's a big deal. I know. I wonder... <laughs> It doesn't really say if it's like still an open thing or not. I just keep seeing a bunch of photos from it, but okay. Well, I wonder if it's open. I don't know. Yeah. So at that time is when the Hale-Bopp comet was passing Earth. It was like the closest it's been to Earth. I don't remember, but it's only passes through every X amount of years and they thought like, this is it. This is our chance to reach Tela. This was the UFO that they were waiting for. They were like, let's get the fuck out of here. We're heading to heaven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so um, I actually ended up watching an ABC 2020 video on YouTube and they interviewed a former member named Jaina Gibbons mm-hmm. and she had joined the cult and moved into the mansion when she was only 16 years old. Oh my gosh. And yes, she was in the cult for um, quite a few years. And she said that most members never even stepped foot out of the door of that mansion. She said that the windows were always shut. um, The curtains were always closed. Everything was very controlled. Um, She said that they were divided into three shifts. So three people would share a bed which is weird. And I don't even like sharing a bed with one person. I can imagine with two other people. Are they like small beds or those little tiny beds that we see? They were tiny beds. They slept in bunk beds. Yeah. I was just going to say like the footage from the aftermath. There's tiny little. I think that was like, since they weren't permitted to have sex, it was just to have like, maybe like an accountability partner to make sure you weren't doing something you shouldn't do. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. You know, unless there was some freaks in there that wanted a threesome. (laughs) (laughs) so uh she also said that showers were cut off at six minutes and um there were rules about not talking she said that she went years without speaking it was about four years she said yeah i i can't even imagine and she said like eventually you know they gave her permission to talk and at that time she was told that she needed to get a job to help bring money into the house so she oh, got you, a need, you need to go get a job so now you can talk but otherwise <laughs> exactly. you're like that. yeah <laughs> so messed up and she said at that time she got that taste of freedom and that's when she was convinced that you know what i need to escape and that's when she made the decision to leave thankfully right i feel like I wonder if she would talk to herself when she was alone or like in the shower or something just to make sure I, if I, I feel like if I had to be mute in front of the group, but I couldn't leave the house or anything, I would like talk to myself when I was like a lot of noise around or like in the shower or hum to myself just to make sure my voice was still there. <laughs> like, oh crap. I want to make sure I could still speak. 
<laughs> I think I would do the same. Right? I really think I would do the same. And I wonder if there was like, I wonder if there was ever a time where since they were put into these groups, if any of them, what if someone did have sex and Marshall and Bonnie just never found out, right? I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there was things going on, you know. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're people. They have natural <laughs> urges and like they're all living together. They're the only people that they speak to or don't speak to. But <laughs> like they're all living together constantly, not even uh, getting into leave until they are forced to get a job. Yeah. Yeah. So at that time, since the Hale-Bopp Comet was coming and they thought this was their chance to leave, that's when they started recording like these um, these exit videos. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. I watched those videos. It was so sad, Rena. Like, man, it was just really sad. It was really eerie to watch. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, anyways, so they recorded their exit videos. And the day after they recorded those exit videos, they all went to Marie Callender's for their last meal. Yes. Yes. I remember this. <laughs> I love Marie Callender's. Right? Huh? Oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying I love Marie Callender's, like their um, banana cream pie. I miss it being here on Third Avenue. It was so good. Like, let's get rid of the farmer's table and bring back Marie Callender's, right? Okay. Can I just say one thing? What? <laughs> I've only been there once. What? I don't even remember what I ate. It was, I had never been. I never went. I only went like. Who did you go with? My ex. He had gone a lot of times with his family and he's like, you've never been? Oh my God. And so he took me and I was like, I don't, I don't honestly remember the meal. I don't remember much. But then when I heard about the skate, I was like. I think because the ex was a fool and life with him was a blur and not nothing to be remembered. I had a lot of things blocking out of my memory. I just did not want to remember certain things from him. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, well, I really hope that you got a piece of pie. I don't think you did because if you did have one of their pies, you would have remembered that. I was going to say, I remember every pie, but I don't remember. So I probably didn't. So you probably had like, uh, what is it? Like meatloaf or something? I was was just going to say, I'm pretty sure I had like a meatloaf or like chicken parmesan or something like that, you know? Yeah. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I, I don't think I've ever had a meal there um it was always just going there for pies oh really yeah i don't think i've actually ever had a meal oh dang wait is this Which, still- what a bummer because i think there's still some like i think there's one in east county oh because you said the one in chula vista closed yeah that one's closed because it's a uh, farmer's table now oh okay okay yeah mm-hmm. I kind of now i kind of want some pie i know yes oh i do too I, well, after we're done recording, like I bought stuff. I'm making nachos, so I'm eating nachos after. Ooh, I got a pizza. I haven't had pizza in like months. So I was like, oh my God, I'm excited to have some pizza. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so anyways, when they went to Marie Callender's, it was the one that was in Carlsbad and they ordered a turkey pot pie and lemon iced tea and they got cheesecake as a dessert. Okay. So then they go home and they put on their matching outfits. So... They made these outfits like they went somewhere to buy the um, the fabric. They bought black and purple fabric to, you know, make these outfits. Mm-hmm. So they all ended up, you know, um, putting money in their pocket, which was a five dollar bill and three quarters. So they had five dollars and seventy five cents in their pocket in their pocket. And um, it's weird because they packed like in duffel bags set ne- that were set next to them. They packed some of their belongings. Like, like to take with them? Yeah. What? Yeah, it's weird. Wait, what was the five dollars and seventy five cents for? I don't know, but I remember like when I was doing questions for the trivia, it said that um they always had well, they had the quarters in their pockets because back then there was no cell phones. So if they happened to be out at their job or out mm. getting food or something, they were able to use a payphone. And the five dollars I think was supposed to be for a taxi. In case if it was like emergency, if you ever needed it, something like uh, that. Yeah, because I was literally going to say maybe that was the f- the fare for the UFO. <laughs> um, five seventy five for each person, please. Before That's they right. hop on with the aliens and then they fly off into space. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fool. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. Honestly, is that really far-fetched to think about? <laughs> it's not. Actually, it's not. 
<laughs> with what they believed, it's not far-fetched to think that, that that's what they were told. And They're they like, we can't it. use our bus or trolley passes, so let's just have this cash with us in case. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways... Um, they so they got home, got dressed into their matching outfits, um, and they all took um, like drugs. I think it was barbiturates mm-hmm. mixed with like you can mix it either in applesauce or pudding, and they drank it with vodka. After they did that, they placed a plastic bag over the head, and their suicides took over. Like took uh, their suicides took over the course of three days. So they were done in shifts. Like each person had a partner. And once the partner seen that the other person was dead, they would place the purple cloth over their face and it continued on until everyone was dead. Um, but there Marshall- had, sorry, there had to been like a couple of people, right. That didn't do this because like, Everyone did it. Like everybody that was still in the cult, still living in that mansion, they all did it. Like oh. Marshall Applewhite was the last to go. Um, oh, okay. I thought there was like a couple of uh, the members that like never actually did it. No, there was actually um, that I know of, and I could be wrong, but I know for sure there were two former members oh. that left the cult like a month before the suicide. And- oh, Okay. Marshall still talked to them. Um, mm-hmm. Like he would still communicate with them and stuff like that. Yeah, because I remember um, some of them were being interviewed for certain documentaries. So I was like, okay, so there were a couple mm-hmm. of survivors, quote unquote, but they had left before. Yes. Oh, okay. So, you know, um, so they all committed this mass suicide. Mm-hmm. And what happened is on March 26, 1997, an anonymous tip is given to the San Diego Police Department. So the sheriff's deputy, Robert Bronk, responded to a call reporting a mass suicide, which actually the anonymous caller turned out to be a former member mm-hmm. um, that made this phone call. Anyway, I'm going to pay- play you the clip, Rena. Let me play it for you. Oh, God. Hold on a second. Oh, I wonder. I hope you're going to... I hope that you'll be able to hear it because I'm going to. Okay. This is regarding what? This is regarding a mass suicide. And I can give you the address. The address seemed the unlikeliest of places. A mansion and a quiet. So anyways, that was just Mm -hmm. a really quick recording of, you know, him calling it in. Mm -hmm. And, um. So, you know, um, when Robert got that call, who was with the San Diego Sheriff's Department, he thought it was a prank. He didn't think it was real. So he drives out there. And like, I would probably think the same too. Like, no, this isn't real. Let's just go. Yeah, like, what the hell? That's so unheard of. It's so rare. And like Mm -hmm. he said, in a weird, like, just big old mansion and out in Rancho. Like, that's crazy. So when Robert gets to the driveway, he said that's when things started to feel a little different, a little eerie. And he he was alone at that time. So he went through like the last door when he was walking the premises. Uh, premises. It was a side entry door. And that led you into the residence and it was left unlocked. So when he walks in, that's when he just starts seeing the bodies everywhere. Um he said that there was a computer that was flashing red alert, red alert, red alert. On the oh my screen. god! Is this at Star Trek? Star Trek? I think like yeah. I think like I um, I think oh. the uh, God. I I never watched like a full episode, but it sounds like I seen it on one of the episodes. Like red alert, red alert. I feel like I've seen that in a lot of different things, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that definitely things that have to do with like um, spaceships. So yeah, mm-hmm. they, that's what they probably were like. Oh yeah, let's try to be like Star Trek. We're gonna mm-hmm. have spaceships too. <laughs> yeah, and so can you imagine him walking in, seeing all of these dead bodies? Red alert! They're all like dressed the same. They all have the same Nike decades on, like purple cloths over their head. Yeah, it's wild. I, I would not. I I feel bad for that police officer because, like you said, he probably you know thought it was a prank. And then just thinking, oh, I'm just going to find some dumb kids, you know, prank calling me. And he mm-hmm. finds, how many dead bodies was it? 39. 39. 39, 39. Dead bodies. Wow. 
Yeah. And he, he actually, um, I did watch an interview with him where he did say that to this day, not a day goes by where he doesn't think about that scene that he walked in on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't blame him. I would be traumatized by that too. And I've seen like the videos um, from the sheriff's department where you can see them all laid out like on the bunk beds and stuff. Like, you know, when you are looking on the outside and you see this beautiful, large mansion in Rancho Santa Fe, I I guess I would just expect when you walk in there for there to be beautiful, expensive furniture, sculptures and stuff like that. But then when you walk in, it's like, crappy it's barely um even furnished and it's all like crappy stuff so yeah like bunk beds they look like squatters i bet they look like squatters in that big old mansion (laughs) and i don't understand because like they uh marshall they were really they logged everything down and they really watched every penny like with in regards to like food and other sort of stuff so it just doesn't i don't understand why he decided to rent out this large mansion that was like so expensive i mean he could have definitely gotten something that can house all of them, like for a much lower price, right? So it doesn't. Have to be I I thought he got the mansion for this suicide mission. I didn't know that they were living there for like several months. Yeah. So they this ha- the suicide happened in March of 1997, and mm-hmm. when um, the source that I found said that they moved into the mansion. Oh, actually, so it wasn't too long. I think it was like um, September or October of 1996. So at that point, uh, I think they were just there, what, five months or something like that. Mm-hmm. But okay. nonetheless, it's still, That's still a lot awful. of money. How much was it? Like seven, eight thousand a, a month? Seven thousand a month Jeez. at that time, which would be equivalent to 13,000 today. Wow. So anyways, uh, the sheriff called for backup and... That it was the largest mass suicide at that time, probably even to this day, I think, on U.S. soil. Um, Within an hour, the house was covered with media. Mm -hmm. It was all over the news. At first, actually, the media was reporting 39 men since they all had like short hair. They all, so, but you know, then they, come to find out that, you know, it was actually females. And then, you know, they started talking about how some of the members cast were castrated. Um, so while the investigation was going on, um, that's when they started telling the media that they were a new age UFO, uh, UFO cult. And like I mentioned, Robert said that to this day, he never has a day go by where he doesn't think about the case. And, you know, what I was remembering arena is you and I actually got to see some of the Heaven's Gate belongings when we did the crime lab tour at the San Diego Sheriff's Department. Remember? What? What, what belongings? What do we did? We, yeah, there was some stuff while we were waiting to go on that tour, like in that waiting area, like right uh-huh. when you walk in, there was Heaven's Gate stuff. I don't remember exactly what it is. I have pictures of it. Um, maybe I'll put those when I post um, oh, I this on tour thing. I didn't even notice. Yes, ask Denise. Oh, okay, I will. Yeah, I got some videos and photos too, but I, I guess I didn't like look at the label or I didn't I actually it. might need you. So if you can look, I'm, I might need you to send me some and can, let's hope that I still have it. But I know, I know it was 1, a while percent. ago. <laughs> I know 1000% though that there was some Heaven's Gate, uh, you know, items taken from the mansion. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'll look that up. If I have them, I'll send them to you. Yeah. So anyways, uh, to this day, the Heaven's Gate website is active. Um, It's said to be ran by two of the former members. I found a post on Reddit of someone um, who recently reached out to them and he posted a photo of like somebody from, you know, the website responding. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really it, Arena. That's it on the Heaven's Gate cult. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I actually am looking through the website right now. It's um it's pretty simple cuz it's mm-hmm. just regular like text with a yellow background and their their um logo at the very top. Mm-hmm. And it's creepy. <laughs> it is. And it's just so scary to think how one person can make, you know, other people do something so crazy. Like shit, how does he, how did he get him to do it? Cause I can barely convince Sal and Aiden to bring me a freaking glass of water or a snack from the kitchen. It's some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know for real, like these persuasive, like 
sayings. I don't know what they're, that's why I was like, I really want to know what they tell them, what they teach them because, but then I'm scared. It's like, what if I try to like pretend that like I'm interested and then I get sucked into it and then I just get hypnotized. Yeah. Have you ever tried to get hypnotized? No. I tried, someone tried to on me, but it didn't work. Apparently it only works on certain people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that's probably good that it didn't work on you, right? I think it's because I'm a skeptic. I think you have to really, really believe in it. And I did not. Why do I feel like me and Christina would probably be members of this cult if we were? (laughs) (laughs) I think Christina would have gotten really excited about Marie calendars because she freaking loves Marie calendars. She would go like almost every Sunday, I think like after church or something, she would tell me all the time with her family. And because I remember she was one of the people where I told her I would never been. She was like, what? Oh my God, you have to go. Yeah. And so I bet if they just told her like, hey, we'll get a free meal at uh, Mary Counters. <laughs> They're like, okay. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I got my 575 in my pocket and I'm ready to get some pie. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I just feel like, I mean, his eyes were wild. Um <laughs> They look like were wild. they really look like insanity to me. Like I, I hardly seen him blink in those videos. Dude, he, those videos are so freaky. Yeah, and like his sister had said, Louise said that you know he can convince anybody to believe anything, and he would have made a great politician or like church leader or something. Like a just like let's I mean, just say a politician. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say well. I mean, he was kind of leading people, I guess, right. in the congregation. But yeah, and then um, if uh, people listening in, if you have not seen these videos, how many videos did he make? I I only seen one, but of him speaking. Oh, there's quite a few. Yeah, and and yeah. at the time, I remember hearing about like at the time it was a big deal because the internet was just becoming a thing, you know, in everyone's homes, and um, like they were really, really wanting to get reach as many people as they could so they that's when they got their website and they made those videos so that people could watch like everywhere yeah yeah and like you know those exit videos um i actually got i i came across a video on youtube i think it was just over an hour and actually i was like up watching it and i watched all of them and it was just like so sad to watch um and watching those videos just kind of was a reminder to me to just like be nicer to like especially to anybody who might seem weird or like an outcast like somebody who might not be quote unquote cool um i don't know because like I just feel like those people look like when they were giving their exit videos, like, I really hope they were happy, but some of them looked really sad and it more it looked more like a lifelong yearning to feel accepted or yeah. belonging. Yeah, of course. Like if they had awful, like, you know, lives with their families or awful um, childhoods and stuff like that, they're definitely going to cling on to something that's like a quote unquote family for them. Mm-hmm. And if it's this type of thing, that's, and then they're so young and yes. so impressionable and they're yes. just going to say yes to whatever, like they're being promised all these great things. So. Yeah. And you know, I, I saw something and it was like, um, God, I don't remember where it was, but they said it's more like 38 murders and one suicide. <laughs> yeah. It, because that's what I feel like. It. I actually was like, wait, that's probably true because why didn't he kill himself first? He could have killed himself first and then let the others decide if that's yeah. what they wanted to also do. But he waited. He wanted to make sure that everyone else was gone yep. before he killed himself. Like, yep. He so- didn't want any of the maybe any of the things that were also going on in their group to be released Mm -hmm. to the public. And Mm -hmm. even though there are those survivors or people that had left um, sooner, maybe they, they're still hiding things too. And like, we never really know what they, what really, really happened in those groups. Like what were they Mm -hmm. doing in that mansion for those several months? Yes. Yes. So anyways, you know, 
Man. It was a wild case. Um, and again, I know there's so many other YouTubers and podcasts that have talked about this case, but I thought, yeah. you know, we focus on San Diego cases. How can we not talk about this one? And you it's, know? it's funny because just like with any other case, any other serial killer, um, any type of documentary or movie that I watch about them, I always find out something new, something right. different. Um, or, you know, sometimes they focus on a specific thing more than others. So even in this one, I learned more about his upbringing i didn't know mm-hmm. about his like music degree and things like mm-hmm. that so that's interesting that definitely puts more in perspective of like who he really was yes mm-hmm. oh and really quick um in one of the youtube videos that i did see there was um so that not the guy that gave the anonymous tip that turned out to be a former member, his name, I don't remember his first name, but his last name was D'Angelo. And he said that those Nike decades, decades that they got since, um, they bought them in bulk, they gave them a price of $10 each pair. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was like, man, and now I've seen, like, I've looked for them and on eBay, they go, I, God, I think I saw like $5,000 or some shit like that. I mean, I'm sure they discontinued that as soon as Nike found oh, out what was going on. They're like, uh, no, pull them from the market. <laughs> right. And Nike actually did put a statement out saying that they had nothing to do with this. Yeah, cult. I know. For real. <laughs> I mean, I would too. would be like, we did not know. We did not know. <laughs> Yeah. And so this D'Angelo, um, man, he's actually also the one that designed like the, the away team patches that they had on like on their arm area. Mm -hmm. Um, and he actually was talking about his life now. And he said he lives like a quiet life as a retired art director. And, um, he, he did say in this interview that the followers all had free will. He said that they left the cult he left the cult a month before the suicide and Marshall was the one that wanted D'Angelo to tell the world their story. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyways, may they all rest in peace. And I really hope that they truly found what they were looking for. You know, um, yeah, I have more sympathy for the members than I do for Marshall. I, I really course. feel like he should have committed suicide first and, then decide, let the others decide what they wanted to do. I know, literally have wanting to control their lives and their deaths. Yes. Like he wanted total control of that. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys all for listening. Hope you enjoyed and uh, were um, educated on this because I definitely learned some new facts about this case I did that I didn't know before. So Yeah, yeah. It was really fun looking into everything and thankfully I already remembered a lot of stuff from, mm-hmm. you know, doing my research for um, the trivia night that we did on this case. But yeah. like you said, thanks to everyone for listening to this episode. We yep. probably will be back recording in another week, week and a half. Yep. And <laughs> <laughs> Arena, say okay, whatever fine. you want to say. Well, thank you guys all for listening and see you next time. Bye. Bye.